Hello, hello. This is Stumpak Dusra. We are back after a mini Christmas slash New Year's break. Um, d- during this period, uh, my co-host Andrew Fernando did not have a break because he was traveling to Pakistan for a test series for their first test series in ten years, uh, which which uh, gave me a serious FOMO myself because. Uh, uh, I've never covered any or watched any test cricket in Pakistan. Hey, Fernando, so we'll just start, we'll kick off. And also we have a special guest today, Amar Nakvi from Karachi. Hey, Amar, how are you? Good, sir. Thanks for having me on the show. And uh, back to Fidel, uh, uh, Fernando. So we'll just start with your experiences of, of touring Pakistan this time. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was uh, it was an amazing tour. I mean, I think... As, uh, like you said, I've been wanting to cover a uh, test match in Pakistan for the longest time. I think ever since I read uh, Rahul Bhattacharya's Pandits from Pakistan, uh, Pakistan tour was something that I always wanted to do. This is long before I was a writer. So getting, as soon as uh, this test series was confirmed in Pakistan and it was Sri Lanka visiting, it was like a no-brainer to me to try and get uh, on that flight over. And uh, And it was kind of, it was the strangest, but uh, it was it was a strange tour in the sense that it wasn't a normal tour. There was so much security around. Uh, it felt like there was something momentous happening, which you don't get on any other tour. Uh, but also uh, the best tour in terms of hospitality. I mean, I don't think any tour can ever come close to what, uh, not just me, but all the other Sri Lankan journalists experience as well. Uh, during the course of the visit. I've never been to a place where they were so happy to, as soon as I say I'm Sri Lankan people's eyes just uh, light up and they uh, are extremely friendly and uh, and are just willing to help you out, uh, do whatever, you know, getting through the security uh, cordons was so easy on, on most occasions just because as soon as you say you're Sri Lankan and you just kind of flash a Sri Lankan passport or an ID, uh, they just kind of usher you through and uh, and everyone was just, keen for you to it was like it was like a national project to make sure that you had a good time there and everyone from uh from people like Amer who let me stay at their place to uh to my colleagues to uh you know securities so like I had like crazy things where you'd end up chatting to rangers or army people uh outside grounds and ended up taking like selfies with them sometimes because they were so happy to kind of have uh, have met uh, a journalist visiting from Sri Lanka and uh, from as soon as like a, a trishaw driver or someone worked out that you were from Sri Lanka, they would make sure that you got to your place. And uh, and then one guy even re- refused or tried to refuse to take uh, payment for the journey, which I thought was, well, that's never happened to me in an auto anywhere in the world. Um, what are you saying? And, <laughs> no, I'm just saying, I mean, th- this is literally his job to take people from place to place. And he was uh, trying to stop, you know, trying to uh, give me a free ride. And I thought uh, all of that stuff, I mean, it was it was fantastic. And it's a pity that the, the cricket wasn't better. Emma tells me he had to call in pest control after you. <laughs> There's actually Andrew. Um, Andrew, when he came in and he said, look, um, you know, I'm really thankful that you're letting me stay. The, I stayed at V2's place in England. Um, who's also a cricket writer. <laughs> and he's like, I managed to break their bathroom. So, so I was like, yeah, Andrew, go ahead. Um, and then day one, <laughs> I came back and, uh, and Andrew was like looking super sheepish. And there was like a, there's like a small kind of 
whole thing that had come off and he was feeling really apologetic but i felt that was a good omen to start the tour nothing catastrophic a little uh a little bit of accident to get us going and beyond that like it was such a as andrew said it was really wonderful there's a great vibe to it um having been to matches in pakistan before or in this post kind of um terrorism era um the security wasn't as overbearing um you know we're going to the t20s in one days because they just so many more people that even the security personnel are quite overworked they you know a lot more alert so it was a lot more uh, relaxed it was also this is actual cricket season those previous matches had taken place during the summer so it was a lot hotter this was a really nice time to go watch cricket um so it was a really really wonderful experience i i was also struck at how like uh, how it normal some things felt as well like uh like in the crowd in in Karachi I think Osman was talking about this as well there were already people like bringing like pro fawad alam uh uh posters to the ground uh, already people like abusing Azhar Ali for being like a Lahore captain so like the Lahore Karachi thing was very evident especially in the Karachi stadium uh and it just felt like like business as usual even though this was the first uh test in in 10 years there were parts of it that just felt like very very grounded in what pakistani cricket is about and that was quite cool to see also like the crazy love for babar azam uh and uh also just i mean just general things that you expect in pakistan lahir kumara the very fast uh or the the fastest sri lankan bowler uh had a little bit of love as well from the crowd i mean it's your general pakistani admiration towards uh fast bowlers of that um of that description and that was that was quite cool to see like you actually got to experience the particular vibe that pakistan brings to world cricket you that flavor was uh had at least started to come out i'm not sure it was there like in its in its full blossoming but it was it was at least like undeniable that you were watching a cricket match in pakistan uh despite all the uh, in, like the intense security arrangements that still shone through a little bit at least So, so I said, just wanted to add to that. It was a point that Hasan Chima was uh, was was also in in town, and he noted that basically four years ago, when Zimbabwe came in 2015, that was the first time in six years the team was touring, and since then we've had the World Eleven play here, West Indies, two PSLs, etc. Um, and during this time, there was constantly this feeling of okay, this is this is something pretty remarkable and one-off and. um so the crowds were just as like they weren't quite partisan right so like for example especially when zimbabwe came they would yell zimbabwe like every few seconds in lahore um they would shout out the names of the players and um there's they you know everyone was really really grateful uh, for that um this time around now that like it didn't happen long enough you kind of got the feeling what andrew is describing that the crowd was able to enjoy cricket on its own terms so that not what uh, the way chima put it was that the novelty of cricket coming back was finally wearing off like it was becoming something regular again and i think that is probably for a lot of cricket fans that was the biggest thing that you were missing right because um i mean obviously overbearing security and all of that kind of stuff even in the best of times in the subcontinent you have to deal with that especially in pakistan but um i think that feeling of no longer just being oh my god i'm just glad there's a match going on but actually taking an interest in uh in just the ebbs and flows of the game itself was just a, like a big relief as well that you know we're getting back to normalcy i think it be it being a test match might have made a bit of a difference because it's over 5 days and you you 
you are there and you feel okay yeah it's happening unlike a t20 where it's like you blink and you miss it and you might want to make the most of it over the four hours i actually so the uh, if you're watching a t20 in pakistan in this era it's not a four hour thing at all you have to show up they they shut the gates two hours before so you have to show up like at least three four hours before the match begins um and then uh, you know like you end up spending a lot of time at the stadium so that kind of not, as i said like it still wasn't normal so i think with the test what the another advantage was that you could enter at any point so again like there there was it was a lot more relaxed and like you know there wasn't that big a crowd etc so that changed the vibe of it like usually it would just be uh, the last few times i've been at the uh, at the cricket in lahore and karachi you have to show up preposterously early and then you're sitting in this really hot stadium uh that's completely jam packed for at least 2 3 hours before the match even begins the w- the one thing i would add to that is in 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 rawalpindi it felt a little bit more like it was more uh it was tougher for people to get in i think like maybe cuz rawalpindi as far as i know hasn't hosted a match in the last any kind of match in the last uh 10 years and they didn't host any of those a world 11 or zimbabwe games or the anything from the previous sri lankan tour and so i think they were still feeling their way into it and uh fans did complain that they were spending like 2 hours 2 and a half hours uh getting into the stadium also it was like freezing cold uh and rainy the most most of that test but people still showed up on that last day i mean people were still showing up even on days where they got to see barely any cricket So um I I think like I think and Pakistan probably or hopefully that process will just become easier and easier at at all the venues once sort of like they the, the security especially they become more confident about what they're doing um hopefully that that becomes more normal everywhere but in Karachi yeah it was definitely a, a different vibe in Karachi where it felt a lot more normal So anyway so Pakistan and Sri Lanka if if this this isolation of pakistan cricket happened at such an unfortunate time if it had not been uh, if pakistan had been the way it was earlier this pakistan sri lanka rivalry would have lifted itself into another and you know combined with the, maybe the t20 leagues it could have created an alternative market in cricket which which would have which would have decreased the reliance on the big 3 a lot Yeah and and also I think there's just generally been like good feeling between uh not just the boards at that level but also like between the fans also like um Sri Lanka went through its phase I think it's through the other side now where uh India were the team to really dislike and uh they I Australia was the the team that Sri Lankans loved to beat when I was younger but then um later on in life you know it became India and then they became like a shared uh shared favorite you know shared rival um and but beyond that i think like the way that the, the two teams play cricket like there are kind of obvious parallels between uh a the chaos in the boards and b the kinds of players that they produce and uh, and c like the the sort of very swingy nature of their results so sri lanka also a team that has uh outstanding series sometimes and no one's really uh you know made a that hasn't become a trope for the team in the way that it has for Pakistan but they do they are one of you know cricket's less consistent teams especially now um and but occasionally you know capable of of uh, feats of you know that are difficult to describe and so i think there's always been a little bit of synergy between them 
and the and I think just the general respect for the team between fans. I think a lot of Sri Lankans uh, would have Pakistan as one of their favorite teams to watch. And um, there was a, there was a lot of love for Freedy in Sri Lanka for for a long time, uh, and uh, Wasi Makram also got uh, a little bit of love. So you, there's there's a lot between the two nations. I think there aren't many nations where there's this kind of mutual admiration for each other's cricket uh, across all fronts, from the board right down to like a grassroots level. Um, there's I, I can't think of another two cricket nations that that have that kind of uh, admiration for each other, and uh, that those these two cricket teams came together wonderfully to redeem the World Cup for me. Otherwise, this World Cup, this 2019 World Cup, was just <laughs> one one snooze fest until Sri Lanka won that game against England, and then Pakistan rode on the wave that was made possible by that result. Yeah, I think um, I had this conversation with Andrew. Um, I have, and because this is an open-ended podcast, I feel uh, this is this is a tangent worth exploring. Um, which was basically that you know cricket is obviously a, a, an extension of the colonial uh, governing apparatus, right? And um, it's it's intended to kind of civilize the natives and um, and and set these high standards of what behavior should be. And um, the Indian state. Um, you know, is is uh, distinct in South Asia and that, uh, or well, okay, maybe, you know, Sri Lanka is a separate story there, but like generally distinct in the sense that it inherited the British uh, colonial apparatus as is, while Pakistan at that point with East and West had to kind of figure stuff out and etc. Um, and so what that, what I'm trying to get at is that Indian cricketing institutions carried on from the colonial apparatus and you see like in their approach to batting and bowling it, it's a lot more it's been traditionally been a lot more orthodox uh, versus pakistan west indies and sri lanka are all post-colonial societies um, who don't have it as uh, you know who all immediately face a lot more difficulties trying to keep the state together to represent like what the idea of uh, you know what their nationhood would mean um, and it kind of, it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that their approaches to cricket have been similarly unorthodox, right? And like CLR James wrote about this quite famously about, you know, how it is an expression of, of defiance almost, um, playing cricket in your own way. And you see that in how, especially with bowling, uh, cricket's great innovations, whether, um, you know, it's been the all pace bouncing, uh, short pace attacks or reverse swing or, the Dusra or Sling, uh, you know, Malinga bringing in the Sling. Swing. Generally have come from these places, right? Um, and I think that's another, like, it's, it's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's these kind of things that have been picked up, it, it, that are consequence also of how these, um, societies have had cricket developed within them. And so that for me, like, you know, again, as, uh, Andrew pointed out, a lot of Pakistanis, uh, Sri Lankans have Pakistan as their favorite team, vice versa with Pakistan. And I think again, like with these three sides, historically also, they can beat anyone on their day. They are always the most likely to bring some, either some unknown teenager or some like aging veteran you've never heard of. And, you know, they're, they're really fun uh, teams. And as you said, like they, they're the reasons that these boring big three engineered ICC tournaments become alive over the last few years. Um, that it's West Indies defeating India in the World T20 or Pakistan, the Champions Trophy. Or these sides in the World Cup right now, um, they've been a lot of fun. Just, just thinking of this in India's context, I, 
I I won't give all the credit to IPL, but IPL is sort of democratizing cricket a lot more in India, and it's getting its full expression now. I won't say Jasprit Bumrah is is one of the most unorthodox unorthodox cricketers who have come from India, and he I won't say IPL discovered him, but it it did save him like at least three years of uh, were bowling in Ranji Trophy to have to. Come to Indian sides. It just Mumbai Indians scouts from Mumbai Indians just went out, got him, put him on TV, and he grabbed everyone's attention. He he would have been he he would have made it to the Indian team maybe, but it would have taken him four or five years more than it has taken him now. I like to just come back to that discussion uh, a little bit, like, and I'll, I'll I'll address what you just said about the IPL as well. Um, <laughs> The first great Indian batsman, uh, Ranjit uh, Shindy, and then his son, um, are both emerged in like pre-independence era. Um, and you know, so even when they are risky, like I think is Ranjit or the other his son who plays uh, on the the leg side for the first time, um, or whatever, like makes that not for the first time, but like kind of you know, yeah, gets that. He played the first leg. Like, yeah, right. So he there, there is like. It was, it was obviously a bit unorthodox and subversive, but it was very much kind of, um, co-opted into the orthodoxy narrative, largely because Rajit himself was like very, uh, clear that he did not want to represent India and at any kind of, um, you know, uh, separate entity. He was very much a, saw himself as British. Um, and so I think that also kind of plays into it. Like really the first, uh, time that you see India, the, like the Indian cricketers, um, both like, you know, that unorthodoxy has obviously also been part of India, but like uh, by the time, like whether you look at the Ganguly era, whether you look at the IPL era, when India kind of then starts doing things differently, it's sheer size and wealth allows it to again, not like again with Pakistan, Sri Lanka, West Indies, even at their heyday, their boards are still dysfunctional and they're still not making a lot of money out of it or, you know, the success is not sustainable. Whereas India had in, when it finally got around to this stage, um, it, it was able to really take over world cricket. So, um, you know, there's another element, I suppose, like with a lot, a lot of these kinds of, uh, unorthodox players, they're, the reason I guess they also emerge like that is that, you know, they have to constantly be battling the odds, even within their own societies. And then just because their societies are dysfunctional now. They kind of make it despite being an orthodox, but then, you know, like a lot of these players, even when they come into cricket, the conversation around them is, is this person going to make it? Cause this style is so weird. It's not going to work, et cetera, et cetera. So the, uh, yeah, the conversation about unorthodoxy is also, I feel like India now has a machine, uh, just going off what Amr said, like India has, um, actual systems that make sense that it builds towards in a much more intentional and intensive way than any other South Asian nation. So we talked about this in a previous podcast about how India has like a, a pathway for coaches now, which is not something that say like a Sri Lanka or a Pakistan have, have in the same way on the same scale, certainly not. Um, and so that, that kind of, um, I, I'm just wondering Mongo, does that, does that kind of, uh, is there like a hegemony that forms with that? Like, is there, uh, it, is innovation now less? So you're saying like Joshua Rumor was maybe an outlier, but 
is is there is innovation less uh, likely to come out of India now that India has a proper system going, or is it a system that kind of embraces and and uh, allows innovation to flourish? I think this within this system, there's uh, especially with IPL uh, scouts going all over the country. Within the system, there's another subsystem which is looking for unorthodox players because because T20 by definition is needs unorthodox bowlers, especially in the bowling department. Coaches, scouts are going out looking for unorthodox bowlers. So uh, I don't think it's uh, uh, I don't think unorthodoxy is being discouraged right now by the system. You know, as you said, the system can be a machine that just wants to churn out uniform kind of players. I don't think it has reached that level where, you know, everyone, if you see a action that is not, uh, that's not routine, you try to change that. I think also the, um, the, the modern Indian um, cricket institution has stopped taking its cues from England and really like uh, takes its cues from Australia. Um, the MRF basic academy being like probably the most obvious example of that, but then also like within the T20 kind of setup that uh, the IPL has uh, encouraged is a lot of Australians and a lot of uh, Kiwi and Australian thinking within that. Uh, so I think that kind of, uh, as Bonga pointed out, because of T20s, that embrace of the unorthodox has become institutionalized. Um, and I think the Australians are, in fact, the best examples of the fact that, um, you know, whenever something unorthodox, it, it, they themselves have always, because of opposition to England, um, you know, been a lot less orthodox, but also that they've been the best at co-opting these trends and, you know, um, uh, sandpapers aside, figuring out uh, ways of, of of using the skills that these three countries routinely come up with, and usually, again, because they lack the, the institutional stability, they end up also losing out on that. Uh, versus, you know, teams like Australia and now India that uh, that are able to uh, turn that, learn those lessons, and you know, put them, make them part of their systems, and then get that uh, get that advantage in a sustainable way. The, the other side to this, of course, is that now, uh, as much as like Sri Lanka prides itself on its unorthodoxy and innovation, Sri Lanka now looks at India in complete envy of the system they've created. And, uh, if the board ever gets its crap together, which, uh, doesn't look like it's happening anytime soon, what they want to do is form like a mini Indian system in Sri Lanka. Like that's, that's what a lot of people would like. That's what fans would like. That's what uh, coaches uh, now look not about maybe six or seven years ago. Australia was the system to copy, as you said, Emma. But now in Sri Lanka, at least, uh, the focus very much has shifted to what is India doing that uh, we can copy and and get into our own blood. Um, and it, I wondered if if that was a, a similar if there was a similar movement in Pakistan. Um, in Pakistan, obviously, the, we've elected a cricket captain as prime minister and, um, you know, the term elected itself is a contentious one in this context. But, um, the one thing that he's known for is cricket and uh, what he's done is, uh, put together, instituted the Australian domestic system really into Pakistan. 
Um, and there's obviously been a lot of controversy about like reducing the first class teams, which were unwieldy for sure, but now down to just six, um, because that is what the Sheffield system is, a state system is like. I think it's a good time to bring in uh, Bangladesh. It would have been great to have Isam on the show. But, uh, yes. How has the, and especially Pakistan and Sri Lanka have had their history with Bangladesh cricket. India, India, it's been mostly non-existent. Uh, they just make a tour once in a while to keep them happy. And only in the last two, three years have they started inviting Bangladesh over. How is the relationship of uh, be, be, between Sri Lanka and Bangladesh and Pakistan and Bangladesh been like? Yeah, so I mean, uh, in Sri Lanka, we had this very patronizing attitude towards Bangladesh and Bangladesh cricket. Uh, and then they beat Sri Lanka in a test match in 2017. And that was the first time Sri Lankans were like really, were really like, oh wow, this is actually like a serious team now. And, uh, sort of Bangladesh used to be the team that you used to visit what to feel, feel, make yourself feel better after a big loss elsewhere. And now that's no longer happening. Bangladesh are like, uh, at least on par with, with, uh, with Sri Lanka in many, in many ways. And they've, uh, developed even further than Sri Lanka in, in some ways. And, uh, and so it's, I think Sri Lanka is sort of having to come to terms with the fact to, that they have to swallow their pride and, and, and kind of accept Bangladesh as an equal when they haven't done that for many years. Uh, but what I will say is that Sri Lanka used to be the tour that, uh, used to be the team that used to tour Bangladesh when they didn't have much cricket to play. So on one sense, at least on the board level, uh, SLCE maintains like probably SLCE is the board. I think that maintains the best South Asian relations. They are having, they're on good terms with everybody in all four sort of major, you know, I'm including Afghanistan in that now, uh, major South Asian nations. And they're the, they're the board that still kind of likes this idea that there's a South Asian solidarity, right? So, uh, the kind of going back to the uh, Jagmohan Dalmia era where, you know, the ACC was formed and, and all four boards, uh, you know, they all three boards at the time hosted the World Cup together in 96 and there was a thing called Pilcom and, uh, and there was kind of like a lot of cooperation and helping each other. Sri Lanka still likes that idea. But none of the other boards really want to make it work. Um, and that's, that's the situation Sri Lanka is in. But, it, and, and Bangladesh is kind of caught in the middle, I think, now. I mean, we can see from their reaction to this, um, to the, to the prospective tour of Pakistan and then being kind of, you know, very reluctant at this stage, it sounds like, uh, to tour. They're kind of caught in between, do we become better friends with India or do we, sort of play Pakistan on their own terms. Uh, yeah, what's the situation like in, in Pakistan towards Bangladesh? I think, uh, Andrew, what you were talking about, Sri Lanka, uh, the Sri Lankan board having good relations with all of them. I think the, the big reason for that also is that um, other than India, Sri Lanka um, doesn't have this long and awful uh, political history with, with these countries, the way, for example, they, the, the rest of them do. So like when you take Pakistan's example, both Bangladesh and Afghanistan, um, there's just so much, uh, tragic and kind of convoluted political history with both these countries. And that attitude, I mean, it can't not play out in how they react to one another, right? So, um, Bang- uh, Bangladesh, formerly East Pakistan, 
um, separated because it felt the people there felt that they were being discriminated against, but not just felt. I mean, it, there, there's a lot of objective measures to show how they were being discriminated against culturally, economically, socially. Um, and then there was just horrific violence uh, by the state on its own people. Um, so, and on the flip side, that uh, there is a lot of very, um, you know, racist sort of bigoted attitudes that still persist to this day um, within Pakistani society. And that is true. You could say, use the same things for what's uh, with, with the Afghans as well. So, so there, I mean, I think for me, it's very difficult to view this outside of that. That being said, I think within the cricket fraternity, the, with the players and stuff, especially, you know, they show up for the PSL and everything. I didn't feel that sense of, um, tension. Obviously, like, I mean, my interaction was at the PSL and there you've got people like Tamim and uh, Shakib and stuff who are super, like, you know, really big stars. So I guess, uh, you know, they're also a lot more, uh, just confident and secure, et cetera. But generally, you know, like, I think within, the players, you don't sense that. But again, the boards in uh, all South Asian countries are an extension of the state and the politics of the state. So, you know, and, and, and those relations we all know have been have even historically bad, but also currently are not good at all. Right. So um, I think in light of all of that, there is those things have to be playing out as well before you even get to the fact that within the cricketing history, there's been a lot of patronizing attitudes, uh, etc., which persists. I think like if you look at Ramiz Raja in particular, um, he's, he's almost kind of cultivated this, uh, this thing, which I maybe started off as a joke or something, but I think it's very much part of his, uh, persona now, which is being very, 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 um, you know, dismissive and rude and obnoxious about, uh, Bangladeshi cricket. So, I mean, what, what that translates into the board's actions, again, you could point out to so many things where there is a political reason for them not to come because again, any tour to Pakistan right now is also an endorsement of the Pakistani state's management of its internal security. And so that's an endorsement of its security establishment. Um, and you know, there is a reluctance, especially within, uh, India and Bangladesh to kind of make that endorsement. Whereas if Sri Lanka makes that, it really doesn't, it doesn't affect domestic politics in Sri Lanka the same way it would in all these other places. Yeah, that's a very good point that uh, uh, Indian cricket cannot exist outside of Indian government. Yeah, sorry, I was just saying Indian cricket cannot exist outside of Indian government. And over the last few years, uh, last couple of years, especially I, I had never seen Indian cricket politicized as much as it has been in the last two, three years. So it's all the, it's all the more unlikely that there could, there would be any resumption of ties between India and Pakistan anytime soon. Yeah, there's a great line in, uh, Shahan Parantalika's novel, Chinaman, to explain the, the national, uh, uh, I guess like the, the, the dynamics, the diplomatic dynamics between Sri Lanka and the rest of South Asia. And uh, it says, you know, the, our neighbors are too busy fighting each other to really care about us. And the converse of that is also true. Sri Lanka is too busy fighting, like, amongst itself to really care about its neighbors. And so there's, like, this, uh, there's cooperation at a national level um, because the the conflicts are not, you know, from India, Pakistan, Bangladesh have no conflicts or no history of, of serious conflicts with, with Sri Lanka and uh, Sri Lanka's history of serious conflicts is within itself. 
So, uh, yeah, that, that it, it does translate into cricket and it makes sense why SLC has this particular outlook of trying to work with the other uh, boards. One thing we did touch on when we were in Pakistan, uh, Emma, and when we were having, uh, I think, Osman and, and, and Chima were also around and Daniel, was when we talked about, like, who the PCB actually has good relationships with in the region. And right now, it's just it's just SLC, really, isn't it? Yeah, I think, uh, and, and again, like, um, this isn't really a, an indictment of the PCB because um, Pakistani states' relationship with Afghanistan, with India, with Bangladesh are are, are really historically been really difficult, bad and, and have a lot of conflict and everything. So at least with Afghanistan, for example, uh, Pakistan Cricket Board has a huge role to play, I think, unprecedented, really, in terms of how much, um, you know, and we talked about this, that there was a, there's almost a Pashtun renaissance, uh, or, or not even a renaissance, like is this first time that it emerges um, for cricket in, in, um, in the last, like, two decades. And that has been powerful enough to really support not just Pakistan's cricket team, which has a lot of Pashtun playing in it now, but um, Afghanistan's entire national apparatus was basically people who grew up playing in Pakistan and have played a lot of cricket in Pakistan, if uh, if not exclusively so before they made it. So, um, so despite that, they don't have a good relationship because the politics over over uh, powers. That- Pakistan and Sri Lanka are the easiest teams to write about. Uh, but then Bangladesh and India are the two toughest thing, teams to be scathing about because you have to be very clear about like who the joke is aimed at and you have to sort of like very carefully curate what you're writing, whereas, uh, whereas Pakistan and Sri Lanka, because it's so common to be uh, subversive, you know, especially in like the cricket writing kind of or the, the cricket expression um, sphere, uh, and India, there's sort of like a, and, and Bangladesh, there's sort of like a sacrosanct nature to the players or even former players that you're writing about. It's, it's harder to do that without facing, uh, more backlash from those two countries. And they're at the two ends of the spectrum and all the other countries, you know, Australia, New Zealand, England would be in the middle. Uh, and, uh, Pakistan, Sri Lanka at one end of the spectrum, India, Bangladesh at, at the other. And I just always found that really interesting. Yeah, I think in India, it's, in India, it's more the system, the establishment, and, and because in India, not just cricket, cricket media also has become such a big business. Everybody is self-censoring themselves because there's just too much to lose out on. And it's becoming just everybody's scratching each other's back kind of establishment. So the, the resistance to uh, the humor that you're talking about might not come as much from the fans as it does from the establishment. Whereas in Bangladesh, it's the fans who are much more sensitive towards all these things. I mean, I think uh, there's also that situation where a lot of um, a, a lot of countries, not just in cricket, view you know the, their national team in the most popular sport as a kind of representation of the society or something itself. And I think in that sense, also like. Because Bangladesh lacks that one signature tournament win, um, there is, for the fans' perspective at least, there is like, you know, that sense of mythology that's missing. Whereas, um, all these other countries 
have um you know these kind of big victories that they can look back on and afghanistan is still so new that its victories in the kind of um what is the the associate level still resonate as well as its exploits and like you know its fans have entered like a very different zone and again like the very fact that the team exists is uh is is is, is you know a testament to like a fan society or something as well so i think for bangladesh like it's also the, the reason that the fans have such an issue is that it's a question of the mythology as well right like they um if whenever they do win their big tournament uh it, yeah that that should exactly right like that that as a society and as like a cricketing culture and at least in terms of individual players they definitely feel that they've arrived and yet that kind of one big win uh, seems to elude them but it also does come out of uh, a very long patronizing attitude towards them from everywhere in cricket ramiz raja being a great example and and he's not alone clearly there are ramiz rajas in indian cricket also and in other countries who look down upon bangladesh cricket despite their achievements who lazily call every time they win an upset and which upsets them a lot more uh, watching i mean bangladesh cricket fans i i think they live a cricket match more than i i think i've ever seen anybody do every ball they're just so intense and instructions like flying out every ball and it's like it's like somebody from their family is going out and playing and representing that family yeah there's no cynicism you know like there's there's a lot less jadedness um almost even though like this yeah like they they they're, they're still invested so much into it every time so before we wrap up we just wanted to talk about we've talked a lot about the fractures within south asian cricket and uh, the issues that they have with each other and and how it's not in an ideal position for cricket right now but uh, i just wanted to sort of cast our mind back to a time when it worked beautifully and uh, at a to a time when when these three boards uh, or the three main boards at the time back in 96 worked together and and achieved something uh very positive uh across the board. So uh 96 was obviously with the last time that these uh that Pakistan, Sri Lanka and India hosted a tournament together that was the 96 World Cup. And uh, this was a time when Sri Lanka was going through one of its worst periods of the civil war. Uh there was a central bank bombing that happened uh in 96 in early 96 I think it was February 96 so just weeks before this this tournament was supposed to take place and and Sri Lanka obviously Colombo was supposed to hold host quite a few matches uh Askeria and Candy also hosted a few matches and uh Pak- and Australia and West Indies refused to tour Sri Lanka because you know there were obviously terrorist attacks happening uh, at the time and the uh, one thing that happened during then then was uh Pakistan and India sent a combined team to Colombo to demonstrate that it was a safe place to play cricket. So, uh, this was a match that saw the only match in in history as far as I I'm aware uh, that had Wasim Akram and and Sachin Tendulkar playing on the same team. Uh, I think Mohammad Azruddin led the side uh and it, I mean it was a full house at Kettarama Stadium, one of the funnest venues in in South Asia if I'm uh if I'm allowed to be a little bit biased towards uh home ground. and uh and it was just this there was just this like feeling of of brotherly affection and love towards other south asian nations that seemed to uh that did go on through the 90s you know with the sharja tournaments and there was a, a sense of cooperation 
And although the ACC exists, the Asian Cricket Council exists, there is not that same level of, uh, of cooperation now in South Asian cricket. And uh, we just wanted to talk about, about what the future looks like for, for South Asian cricket as well. The last time I remember any such cooperation coming together at such a broad level was the 2008 Asia Cup in Pakistan where Hong Kong and UAE got to play along with India, Pakistan and Sri Lanka and Bangladesh. Uh, and the only hope we have for such cooperation from the Asian boards in future, right now, in like in the foreseeable future, is the is the coming together in the Asia Cups only, which uh, which were uh, reduced to four team events and might be might be five teams now with Afghanistan coming into prominence. And there's one just before the T20 World Cup this year. Yeah, there's one scheduled for September, according to the Future Tours program um, uh, graphic that I'm looking at. And yeah, I mean, there is at least the Asia Cup still exists, and it it kind of works as a as a concept. No other, uh, there's no other cricket boards that you know. For example, Africa doesn't have an Africa Cup uh, when it comes to cricket, so it's really the only continent where it's it's possible and uh, it can happen. You know, between uh, five or six competitive teams. Um, it, it, I just wish that it happened at lower levels as well. Like if there was an under nineteen um, uh, academy that like the the the, the country shared and, and shared knowledge, I think that would have been a great thing for cricket. But the Asia Cup is really like the last vestige of this cooperation uh, that that we have now. In a way, in in just a symbolism of hope that these countries can come together and keep working for the benefit of each other. This one will be played just before a T20 World Cup. And as we know, there's, there's very little T20 international cricket as opposed to leagues cricket. So it, they will end up helping each other prepare for the World Cup in Australia. I mean, I think there's one thing that uh, this is almost kind of like a spectrum where uh, these Teams in particular, although anyone, I guess, is affected by this, is, you know, either you've got the the, the, the pull of capitalism uh, and the chance to make a lot of money. And there is always, just with so many people involved in these countries and cricket being so popular, there's that opportunity. Or there is the fact that there is a lot of shared uh, heritage and culture, and that kind of opens that space up for cooperation. The only problem, of course, is that most of the time they're in the middle and that shared history is leading to a lot of conflict. Um, but, you know, I think either one of those two things or those two things together, they certainly uh, that space for having hope that, that that can turn around. Maybe in some kind of bastardized, you know, T5 uh, uh, cricket capital money making version or whatever. But um, there is just the very fact that that cricket is so popular and there's so many people there. You see, I, I, I don't know, like maybe we wanted to end this optimistically. So I'd say that as much as you can place any optimism in capitalism, um, there is that opportunity for something to happen uh, just for the chance to make a lot of money alone. Uh, this might not sound like the most rosiest of optimisms, but it is optimism nonetheless. On that note, I thank you, Amar, for joining us. And Fidel, we will be here again next fortnight. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Um, and next week, Srinath and the crew will be back with the uh, with the more straightforward version of Stub Mike. Yeah, I, I feel it is going to be a very, very dated culture reference. 
But you know, this felt like getting a feature on Watch the Throne, the album that Kanye and Jay Z made together. And as much as I'd want to be Kanye, but like, you know, I feel, I feel like as the guest here, it was like being, I don't know, Frank Ocean or something. Um, so th- thank you for this, uh, honor. Oh, we shall record this and keep playing this I, I, every be, episode. Yeah. I'm happy to be Jay Z. <laughs> I don't think. I, I don't know if Manga can be Kanye. I think Andrew, you've got more. I feel you've got more, you've got more potential to be Kanye. I mean, you know, we all want to relate more to Jay Z given the current climate, but let's, you know, yes. uh, let's just look at their artistic <laughs> output yeah. instead. Yeah. So maybe it was done by Jay Z and Jay Z. <laughs>